Before we get into today's show, I have a special announcement. We here at Uplifting Impact are going to be hosting an online virtual summit on how to be an ally from August 14th through the 16th. Join us for thought-provoking, interactive, action-oriented content that will prepare you to be the ally we need. Tickets start at just $97, and there are also sponsorship opportunities available. Go to upliftingimpact.com to get more information. Hello and welcome to Uplifting Impact. It's so wonderful to be here with you again for another episode where we're talking about leadership and we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we're talking about how to merge those things together. Today, I have a longtime friend of on the line with me. In fact, we go all the way back to college. We were actually college roommates. Um, I have on the line with us now, Professor Hardwick. Uh, This is actually Jocelyn Hardwick. And Jocelyn is now at WMU Cooley Law School, which is an organization that she joined, a school that she joined in July of 2019. So she's finishing up or going into her, her second year at Cooley. However, before that, Jocelyn also was at a was a federal judicial law clerk for the U.S. District Court of Middle District of Florida in Tampa, Florida. But for me, she's done all these cool things. She's an amazing person, an amazing woman, somebody I really admire. But one of the things that she has done that I think is incredible incredibly impressive is that she has been the founder and director of the Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., which is a nonprofit organization that runs a scholarship and leadership development program that promotes diversity and creates access for law students in the Tampa area. She's received awards. People are always coming to talk to her about what this looks like and how to create a meaningful pipeline, particularly when it's applied to the legal profession. And I'm just delighted that you're here. Hey, Jocelyn. Hey, Deanna. How are you? (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks so much for making some time and your very, very busy schedule (laughs) to, to be with us. My pleasure. So, Jocelyn, you know, One of the things that I love about what you've done with DAP, with the Diversity Access Pipeline, is you have really taken a student-centered perspective. So you've really looked at, you know, what are the things that are getting in the ways for these amazing, diverse group of students um, for getting into the positions that they want, particularly when those positions that they want or organizations that they want to join are always saying, we want more diverse candidates, yes. right? Yes. So you saw yes. that there was this gap, like students who want these jobs and companies who say they want students, you know, who have their backgrounds. So there was this gap between uh, these two needs being met. And that's where you, that's where you showed up. So tell us a little bit about what that process was like and how you got there. Well, you know, I was a part of pipeline programs. Um, since I was in middle school, I recently made a little video from the as class of 1994, and we were like, "Wow, it's been that long, almost 30 years." Talking <laughs> to our um, the class of 2020, and my friends and I were, we became friends then, and we learned a lot of the strategies that I use now in middle school. And it's funny, I'm teaching law students now; they don't have some of those strategies, and so I realized that was one gap. Then I meet amazing students when I was at Florida State University College of Law. When I moved to the Tampa area, we have the two law schools, Stetson and Cooley, where I teach. And I interacted with all these great law students, but they just were struggling to figure out what to do next. 
And I'm like, you know, we have this abundance of riches here in Tampa Bay. We have like dozens of professional lawyer associations. We have a federal court. We have a state court. We have the 11th Circuit. I mean, there's just all these opportunities and the students just felt overwhelmed. Okay. And like you said, I'm at a big law firm. I was there for four years. Well, we have trouble recruiting diverse, you know, and keeping diverse candidates. Then I'm in the courthouse. Same thing with the federal judges. And I'm like, really? Because I meet these great students all the time. So what exactly <laughs> is the, you know, what's the problem? Where's the and disconnect? So, yeah. Where is the disconnect? And right. um, last year we changed the name. We still have Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., but we changed the name of the program to Journey to Esquire. Because the journey to Esquire is a long one. And so we're here to help. And that's how we look at it. Because we don't want the students just to graduate and get their JD. We want Mm -hmm. them to be admitted to the practice of law. Whether or not they want to practice. Now they have options. And with all the things going on now, we really need people with options and with expertise. And so I read about other pipeline programs. I was in something called CLIO from the American Bar Association. They had a six-week like law school boot camp, which was awesome and ongoing support all throughout law school. Um, and I've researched a lot of different programs. And I'm like, you know, we could use that here. We have all the resources right here to do it. So I kept looking around and suggesting it to people. And then someone finally said, why don't you do it? I'm like, oh, me? <laughs> I was like, I can, yeah, I, I could do this. And then with help from people like yourself, because you helped me out very early on and support from my network, I was able to just put it together with, you know, it was a shoestring budget. A lot of it was self-funded. And I said, you know, I'm just going to put it together and put it out there and see if anyone's interested. And overwhelming response. Lots of people interested, lots of support. And then we had the first graduation and you got to speak there. So you saw how much it touched those students. The people they were the amazing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, just not a dry there. eye. Not a dry eye, just to hear their stories, to hear how much the program influenced them, to hear your, just how much love they have for you and the guidance that you provided. I mean, it was just, it was just a real, it was a real highlight for me. And I kept thinking, why don't we do these kinds of things in all professions? Right. Right. Because even though you're focused in on the legal profession, Mm -hmm. these are some of the gaps that we're seeing across all professions. So can you tell us, like, what are some of the things that when you're advising, I want to hear some of the things you're advising students Mm -hmm. to try and close the gap, but then also some of the things you're advising for some of the bar associations and and some of the employers when they're thinking about how to close the gap. Well, from the student's point of view, we have what we call modules, and they're all throughout the year. So we teach them about leadership. We teach them about professionalism. But we also teach them how to be mentored and how to be a good mentor. We Mm -hmm. teach them wellness. Because one of the biggest obstacles, like you pointed out, is everyone's so busy. And so they feel like they cannot take on this additional task. And as people of color or women, the task usually falls on us. And sometimes we're the only ones in an organization, right? Right. Or in a room or in a space. And then so we get overwhelmed. And so I prepare the students for that. But sometimes they feel scared as well and stressed. So I tell them, you have to take care of yourself because you cannot pour from an empty cup. Right. right. So we it's, it's kind of this holistic approach, like you are a whole person. We want you to bring your whole self into every space you go into and be willing to articulate the value that you bring, because there are going to be people who think you don't bring value. 
Right. And you have to be able to overcome that, ignore it or put it to the side, articulate your value and bring your whole self. And if you do that consistently, you will have the energy you need to get through the day to accomplish big things. From the employer point of view and from the different bar associations and other leadership roles that they can take on, I tell them, you know, you have to invite people just like that whole diversity, equity, inclusion we don't want to just be invited to the party. We want to be asked to dance. That's so right. present the opportunities to us. I tell, for example, when I was at the, the federal courthouse, federal jobs are good jobs, great benefits, but compared to private firms, they do not pay as much. Right. And so I have to really explain, listen, there are a lot of people who will be great candidates who would be awesome at this job, but you're asking them to take a 40% pay cut. Right. And it's not just about money, like wanting to make a lot of money. They're graduate. Both law schools are private. So they're graduating with double six figure debt. So that is an right. enormous burden on a lot of students, particularly students of color who are first generation. They mm-hmm. took out mostly loans. Right. And so they're like, oh, I didn't think of that. So then it's kind of like, well, let's what my approach has been is, OK, work for the firm like I did for a few years, get that debt down. And then so the pay cut doesn't hurt as much. Right. Or keep your expenses low, act like a law student for the first five years. <laughs> you know, so that kind of practical advice and letting them know ahead of time really right. helps. A lot of students tell me, I had never heard this before. I had no idea. It would not even occur to me until it was right. too late. And so getting them that information early and creating the connections. So when I have an event or interview, these people show up and they get to hear their stories before they see their transcripts, before they start making those judgments. And I think that that's such, there's so many things like to pull back out of what you just said, but even if you think about it, like from the student's perspective, this idea that there's a lot of things that we just assume people know. I remember when I was in law school and there were things that were happening and things that people were doing. And I was looking around like, how did they know that? They're like, oh, my mom told me, my dad told me, my uncle told me, or I saw, you know, such and such. And I'm like, oh, I don't literally don't know anybody else in my life who is an attorney. So I don't have any of that like knowledge that you may have garnered just from your own life experiences because I'm the first in my family to have gone through this experience. Like I don't I don't know what that looks like, right? And I don't know what those expectations are. And so I'm I'm starting from like a just a, a very limited point of reference and not having anybody who can be just really open. When I think about some of the most transformative conversations that I had in preparation from going into the workforce after leaving school, it was with people who are people of color who are like, let me just break this down yes, for you. Yes, here yeah. are some things that you might not have thought of, or here are some things that you haven't seen, or here are some things that people are going to assume you already know mm-hmm. that were completely brand new to me, right? Literally the first time I had ever heard them. And so I think that that student perspective, and so for those of you who are listening, who may be mentoring somebody, maybe it's someone who's you know, new in your firm or, or has just recently graduated from school and you're like, why are they doing that? Or why are they, it might be because they haven't had anybody who's actually been able to share some of that information with them. And so I think as you're thinking about how you might mentor those recent grads or, or students, um, consider that point, right? Consider what are some of the things that you're taking for granted? Everybody knows and thinking about how you might break those down and really find out if everybody knows, or if that's really just a pretty centric thought process that you come from. 
Yes. And then it's, it's, it can be tough, like for people like us, first ones in our family, no one else to turn to. We can be embarrassed to ask. Absolutely. Once we realize we Absolutely. are completely devoid of some very important information, we do not want to broadcast it. Right. And so Journey to Esquire creates that safe space. We That's can talk awesome. about anything here. And then sometimes we're like, okay, we're going to stop recording a session. Let's have some <laughs> real talk. <laughs> we don't talk bad about anyone, but some of the, the lawyers who come speak to the students share very candid, hurtful experiences. Yeah, sure. And they don't name names, but it's, I mean, it happens. So at some right. point it's like, this is how you prepare. These are the clues to look for. This is how you overcome. Right. And, I, and I remember telling them this year, I would love to say you're not going to face any of these issues or challenges or obstacles. I would, but we're not there yet. Right. So let's help you prepare. Yeah. 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 And then from the, you know, perspective of just as you gave the example of like going into a federal court, like what does that look like? Right. For somebody who has a different experience than maybe the people you're traditionally recruiting, just had a lovely conversation with somebody who was like, I don't understand. Like, what do I do? How do I, you know, get different kinds of people into my, into my group? And I said, well, what are some of the things that you are expecting them to come with? Right. What are some of the baselines that you're expecting them to come with? Well, in a federal you know, clerkship position, you're basically saying, Hey, you're going to have to be able to live on this income. Yes. Right. You're, you're going to have to be able to work these hours. If you're saying you're going to be at a firm, you're going to have to be able to do. And some of those expectations automatically negate people who could be excellent yes, in the roles, right. Does. And have mm-hmm. actually nothing to do with the work itself. Mm-hmm. And so how do you look at some of the structures that you have in place that don't have anything to do, you know, with the work and the ability for somebody to do the work and make sure that you eliminate those so that you really are creating a wider net that's going to allow you to diversify your workforce. So super critical components, I think, on both both sides of that. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that. They focus so much on these factors that really Mm -hmm. have little to do with the actual work. Because I'm like, listen, I was at this firm. I've seen people came in who had, you checked all those boxes and they were awful (laughs) and they left. (laughs) Yeah. But you're not willing to take a chance on someone else who may not be exactly that box the way you expected. And it's just like sales. You can't start with the high price tag. You start with all the value the person brings, all the things you can get out of it. Then you say on the back end, here's the price tag. And so I think for people trying to recruit diverse individuals, they're starting with the heavy price tag first. Yeah. It scares people away, like you said. Yeah. And so I think it's just, it's just so fascinating, right? Because it's not like huge monumental changes. It's just thinking about your framing. It's thinking about your, yeah, your policies, how you're, how you're introducing things to people that can really make a significant difference. Okay. So now you've created this amazing pipeline, right? You've got students who are coming into the program. You have employers who understand the value and are supporting the students as they're going through the journey. When you think about like what the next step is, right? When you think about what does the future look like for this program or programs that are like this, pipelines that are like this, where are the opportunities? The opportunities, like you said, are in other industries. Mm -hmm. They're also focused on getting them into specific tracks, So, for example, for me, I focus specifically on big law firms and federal clerkships because I have experience in both and I know the power that lies in those positions. The people who work in those two places are making the rules that govern all lawyers in Florida. And every state has some version of that. 
Right. right. And so we're, by the time you're a lawyer and you're practicing 10 years and some rule you know, affects you a certain way, you're way behind the eight ball. Right. We need to be in the rooms making those rules so that they can keep in mind how it might affect people because they never had that same experience. Right. For example, men and women, when they're talking about, you know, if you have a room full of men making decisions about nursing, <laughs> you know, a newborn child and what that looks like and how much of a break someone needs to do that during a trial. Right. They're not going to be well equipped, even if they had wives or spouses that did that. And so that came up recently in Florida. And a, yeah. a lot of women were in position to be able to help that and help shape the policies. And so, and a lot of the judges are much older. They haven't experienced that in decades. Sure. So they can't even imagine that. Um, so I think if people can look at, okay, where are the next opportunities? One of the big opportunities now is with the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. right? The Supreme Court just said Title VII covers discrimination based on sexual orientation and identity. So now everyone needs to scramble to uh, make sure their policies adhere to that because for a long time that wasn't the case. Um, And our program includes um, LGBTQ individuals as well, first generation, race, gender, et cetera, um, disability. And so um, there's just an enormous amount of opportunity to go forward. And I, you know, I think that's one, yay, I'm so (laughs) glad, right, that we're moving in a direction that is including other people and making sure that we're being more inclusive. It's nice when the law is working in that direction. Yes. I'll leave it there. That's my opinion. (laughs) And I'm sticking to it, right? Um, But the other thing that I think is really interesting, you know, just when you're thinking about where we go next or where we should be focusing our energy, I love that you said we should be intentional. And you didn't say it like this, but this is the yes. way I heard it. <laughs> You're going to make it pretty. <laughs> no, no. But what I heard was, let's be intentional about where the power is. Yes. Right? Like, let's think about in the financial sector. Let's think about in the education sector. Let's think about where decisions are being made that are going to impact the most people. So as you're thinking about your organizations or where you might support somebody or how you might guide somebody, you know, as they're coming to you for mentorship. Where are the places of power yes. that we need to be preparing a diverse pipeline for? Yes. I love that. I, I love that like framing. I love that mm-hmm. thought process because my whole purpose in life is to shift power to marginalized <laughs> communities. And the yes. only way you do that is by creating pipelines that eventually lead to those positions of power. And so, we know it takes a long time. It does. This is not something that happens just overnight, that law degree, you know, getting to the bar, getting through the jobs, you know. Yes, getting the right kind of jobs, right kind of experience, networking with the right people, joining the right groups. I mean, we had a federal judge come and tell us when you apply to be a judge, they want to know for the last 10 years who you've worked with, Mm -hmm. who your opposing counsel was. Right. I can't remember that. Three <laughs> <laughs> years of going to court four times a week. You want me to list all my opposing counsel? But, but now this, my students know that in advance. They're keeping right. track. That's keeping awesome. Track. That's yeah. awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm 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 ready to celebrate. It was fun to celebrate their graduations, but it's going to yes. be even more fun to celebrate yes. when they become judges. It's yeah. going to be even more fun to celebrate when they are the managing partners of whatever law firms or when they're sitting in the Supreme Court and they're making those kinds of decisions. And we will be able to be in, hopefully not in our rocking chairs, but we will be able <laughs> to sit back and yeah. say, boom, right? Yes. That was intentional. And, yes. and what a, what an amazing thing to be part of their journey. Jocelyn, thank you for what you're doing. 
Thank you for being there for people who are in this moment, who are trying to navigate what is a very difficult and weird and complicated system and also creating something that we can replicate in other areas. It's awesome. So people are going to want to be connected with you. Tell me how they do that, how they learn more about the program, how they support the program. Yeah. (laughs) You go to www.journeytoesquire.com. All the information is on there about the program, how to support, donate, mentor. We're looking for time, talent, and treasure. So if you're willing to give any of those things, reach out. You can also connect with me at jocelynhardrick.com because I do a lot of other things. I'm writing children's books on diversity and mindfulness, and I do meditations and all this great stuff. So I try to integrate all these kinds of things together. But that is my for-profit arm, nonprofit, journeytoesquire.com. Awesome. We just look forward to being able to continue to celebrate you, celebrate all the work that you're doing in all the different ways uh, that you're doing it. I'm so grateful that we got room together. Like that was pretty lucky. (laughs) (laughs) That that was pretty, that was pretty lucky. So for all of you who had the opportunity to join us here today, just want to say thank you again for having the time for caring, for being intentional about trying to learn about how to incorporate these ideas of leadership into your and diversity, equity, inclusion into your own practices. I hope that today, you know, you heard some ways that you can, if even if you're not going to start a program, some ways that you can mentor, some ways that you can think about how you're you're directing somebody to a position of power. There's so many nuggets that Jocelyn gave us in this conversation. So really glad to be with you, Jocelyn. Really glad to have had the opportunity uh, to be with all of you who are listening or who are watching. Please share with your friends. We love here at Uplifting Impact, meeting new people and learning how they are operating in the world. Again, make sure that you share. Thank you so much. We here at Uplifting Impact believe that if we are working together to incorporate these ideas of diversity, equity, and inclusion into our leadership practice, that we really can change the world. So let's do it. See you next time. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.